You're listening to Tone Benders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Hey everybody, welcome to Tone Menders. Thanks for joining us. We have a great talk lined up for today. My name is Tim Muirhead and I will be your host. We are talking to some of the sound crew of the blockbuster film, Joker. The film follows the story of Arthur Fleck as he falls through the holes in society and devolves into something that is terrifying to us all. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? It is certainly tense. People are upset. They're struggling, looking for work. These are tough times. <laughs> How about you? Have you been keeping up with your journal? Yes, ma'am. Today, to talk us through this bleak and gritty soundscape from the Joker Sound Department, we have Alan Murray, the Joker's supervising sound editor. He is a nine-time Oscar nominee with two wins under his belt for American Sniper and Letters to Iwo Jima. He worked on all-timers like Scrooge, come on, that's an all-timer, Lethal Weapon, Unforgiven, Million Dollar Baby, and Sicario, another one of my favorites. Welcome to the show, Alan. Alan, you've worked with Clint Eastwood in just about all of his films for the last few decades. What's your favorite quote that he said to you while working with him? Uh, I think it was, uh, don't overthink the uh, situation and go with what your gut tells you on the way the scene should sound. Always came in handy. Yeah, it's good advice, and especially coming from him, you're going to do what he says, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom Ozanich was the music and dialogue recording mixer on Joker. He's been nominated for an Oscar on A Star is Born, another one of my favorite movies. He also worked on the recent Dolomite Is My Name, Sully, Joker director Todd Phillips' previous film, War Dogs. How much did it help to have worked with the director previously when tackling Joker? It was definitely good to kind of have that rapport already established, and, you know, we kind of... Uh, connected you know reasonably well on war dogs and so i think there was also you know that gave us a little bit of a sort of step up to not having to sort of break the ice you know it was already broken so and finally joining us is dean zapanzik sfx re-recording mixer on joker dean is a two-time oscar nominee for a star is born and the lion witch in the wardrobe other films he has mixed include the smurfs the princess and the frog and pulp fiction come on these are some all-timer films again so, Dean, this was your first collaboration with the director of Joker, Todd Phillips. Uh, what did you come away with on the last day of the mix? It was very collaborative. Obviously, Todd is, has the last say and is the last day, but he gave us the opportunity to, to present ideas and to present our thoughts as well, taking from his direction and or Jeff Groff, the picture editor. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's great to have you. Let's talk about the Joker I got to tell you, this film stuck around with me for days. I was carrying it around like luggage at an airport. I don't know that I've had a film affect me like this for a long time. I was going in to see, you know, a superhero movie, and I left with a lot to think about. Did you guys know that that's what it was when you were going into this? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, as soon as we saw it before we are starting to dig in, you know, you knew, okay, this is not what people are going to be expecting and you know even after we had gone through it i was telling people because people would say oh, i'm so excited to see it and i would say it's really good but it's not what you're thinking <laughs> <laughs> we kind of were preloaded that it wasn't your typical superhero movie 
uh, before we saw the first screening and we didn't know exactly what kind of movie it was until we started digging in. And we knew it was going to be special with Joaquin Phoenix starring in it, so we were all excited about it. You all worked on A Star is Born, and now you're working on Joker. These are two films that, within the sound community, got people really hyped up. A Star is Born was a movie that people couldn't believe the sound work that was done in it and how you felt like you were at the live performances. And amongst my friends in the sound post community and uh, online, people talked about it a lot. And now with Joker, it's a similar thing that's happening. And one thing that people are talking about with glowing reviews is the subway scene. Uh, The first time we're on the subway with the Joker, uh, well, before he's the Joker, I guess you could argue that's when he becomes the Joker almost. That scene, sound-wise, is a tour de force because the sound design is doing something that's normally left for music to do, which is build the tension and tell you what's going on inside the character's head. And I'm wondering if we can kind of really dig into that scene because obviously a lot of work was done to it and I want to figure out how you guys managed to make it work so well because when we get on the subway with the Joker, or sorry, with uh, Arthur Fleck, the subway's pretty quiet. And by the time we get off the subway, it is the most terrifying subway ride that you could ever hear. I take the subway every day to work, and if it sounded like that, I would start walking every day because it was just terrifying. Did you have that plan originally that there was not going to be any... Well, I guess there is music towards the end, but that the sound design was going to carry the majority of that scene? Yeah, well, you, you also have to know that whole subway car was a set, so every sound on that subway scene was created by the sound team, so... Of course. We got ambisonic uh, recordings of the subway back in New York and used that, and... Our whole idea of doing that scene was building with Arthur's reaction to what he was going through. So we started out as a normal subway ride, and then as the scene got more intense, we amped up the low end in the subway car and introduced more screeching, and then you also had the trains going by on the opposite track. And all that built under the direction of Todd like a symphony, and it kept going and kept going till a crescendo of the gunshots. And I think every scene like that was planned by Todd and carried out to maximum perfection. So, And to his, Todd's credit, he allowed us to carry that. You know, he, to, he, his thought was so strong, or his support for the sound part of it, as opposed to music, was so... Uh, his confidence in it was so strong that he allowed us to do what we did for that scene and present what you saw, you know, to him. And obviously, he's the the yay or nay on it. You know, one of the things you mentioned was how real Star is Born sounds, and then that same character exists in Joker. For me, anyways, it's very gratifying to 
hear people say that because that was very much something in both cases we were deliberately trying to do. From my perspective, each of the three of us individually have a really good sense of that and, and are kind of trying to build that, you know, Alan with what he puts together with backgrounds and tracks and how well built out the foley is and just the detail that he has of, you know, like say the elevator and Joker, like there's a lot of components and then you put it all together and it's like this perfect little elevator symphony, you know, the way then Dean is putting all that together to play it and what I'm trying to do with the dialogue and make it really feel like those people are right there. And, you know, in the subway scene, the dialogue pans around and it's not something people are necessarily overtly aware of, but it's like a little element there that's trying to both keep clarity in understanding where we are geographically with those guys giving them a hard time and where he's at and you know then it starts to erupt and it kind of chaotic and you need that clarity starting from a place that's a more calm and very reality based feeling place and then slowly it spins out of control and turns into very unnatural sinister <laughs> yeah spun out of control is is really the the arc of that scene and creating that intensity that you were pointing out towards the very end of that when they actually get off the train you know there was the music gets huge you know just before that point and there were points where we had played with music continuing on the the walkway there and you know we all felt like no it's got to calm down it's got to become very isolated and lonely because yeah that, you know the gunshots are very echoey and and you feel the space of that tunnel platform you do also feel you're alone with just those two guys the way the, the scene was designed sonically it gave us that pause but you're still terrified once again, you have to feel like you're standing right there with them on the walkway to kind of have the super uncomfortableness of the horror of what's happening. And then right after that, we go deep into his head, you know, as he runs off and goes into the bathroom. So And then the score comes in. Yeah. And, and I think that was Todd's direction throughout the movie, have this 3D soundscape that surrounded you and made you feel like you were one with Arthur Fleck as he had his descent into becoming the Joker. So I think that was always represented in the soundtrack of the movie. So as you say, it was not a practical subway that it was shot on, so you guys had to create everything. The subway pass-bys of the other trains passing by, there was something more than just subway in there. What was going on? Because those were terrifying passes. Do you remember how you built those up? Yeah, some of them were uh, jet-bys, some of them... We added sound design elements on and built the intensity. New elements were added as it, we went through the scene. So it was definitely built that way. There's actually some different flavors because they're not all other trains. Some of them are platforms. passing, you know, yeah. like the platforms where people would get on or whatever. And that was also direction from Todd. I mean, if you, if you look at the scene, you'll see a platform, but then you'll see different colored lights. Some of them are incandescent and some are fluorescent, uh, yeah, fluorescent which meant 
different, either a train going by, a different platform going by. So each of those had different sounds, whether you pick it up or not. It was very important to him to make sure that those three elements of pass by sounded different. It was uh, quite a bit of work that went into that. We've all talked about the idea of uh, diegetic and non-diegetic music. This scene almost went into a realm of uh, diegetic into non-diegetic sound effects as it built, and you started kind of feeling like the sounds of the subway were more inside his head than the literal sounds of the subway around him. Yeah, that's a good point, because the, the scene starts off, we go from a realistic Gotham City scene, outside, traffic, air, phone booth, to this lonely guy sitting on the train, but we're looking at him in the subway window, but we're outside the subway, and then we go in. So subconsciously, we're making those transitions sonically. You know, you're, you're with him from the phone booth. You're invested in him all the way through to the shooting. So I think you kind of just go with it, and then the sounds make you go into his head, just like the visuals are kind of propelling you that way. The gunshots that fly out on the platform... How many different things did you try before you found one that you liked for that? One nice thing about the mix, we were given time to experiment prior to presenting to Todd, uh, well, first off to Jeff, the, the picture editor, and then ultimately Todd. So that probably went between the three of us on those gunshots, I don't know, maybe three or four iterations of what verbs to use and how much delay to put on for decay and until we landed on what you hear. And it had to transition also into the tinnitus and design of us now going into Arthur's head. So, and the horror of what has had just happened. So that was a big part in it also on choosing the reverbs. Exactly. So then after he's on the subway platform, he runs away. He eventually ends up in a public bathroom on his own. And there's this very haunting sequence of him dancing. Pretty awesome. I mean, it's a pretty amazing performance with everything else, you know, the music and, you know, the foley of him moving, the lights wanted to be super delicate with it so that it's there, you're feeling it, but you're never distracted by that. And you're just kind of in awe of his performance there. And I think it was also his, he goes into the bathroom for the safety of the space he's in. I think throughout Joker, there's always something that's a little wrong with the atmosphere. And I think mm-hmm. the lights kind of signaling it's its really not a safe haven because there's always this feeling of tension and, and how all this turmoil's building inside of him. It appears like it's a safe spot, but it's really not, and I think we keep that going throughout the whole movie. Can you give me another example of the unsafe atmospheres that you were putting together for it? Yeah, it's in Arthur's apartment. It's always tension. You hear people yelling outside. It's um, persistent, angry horns. It's a city on edge, an angry city. And I think every time we were in an environment, it either... It always showed that chaos outside, or it was a statement of loneliness. 
So we went back and forth between those two atmospheres throughout the show. And if you think about it to Arthur, when we first meet Arthur, he's in Gotham and the city is rough and it's it's gritty and the bus ride's not pleasant for him. And then the street sounds are very real and gritty. And then he gets into his apartment and for him, that apartment represents safety for Arthur because he's with his mom and he, he locks the door and he locks all that outside, but he's not really safe. And so sonically, the soundscape was designed to give that false sense of safety for Arthur, but it isn't because Gotham is always outside the door and it's always present. This film goes in and out of reality, but sometimes the viewer isn't sure which part you're in. A lot of movies that involve going into the interior space of characters, there is a sound design moment that it tells you, you know, or the picture is suddenly all the saturation is taken out of it. There's a delicate, delicate dance going on here that you guys had to pull off to get you in and out of reality at times and then other times not letting us know where we were going. How did you guys go about doing that so subtly but still giving those cues to us? Great question. That's a great, that's a really, yeah. uh, a p- p- very perceptive and, uh, and a great question. I think uh, there's certainly, obviously, Todd is giving us, you know, some direction on that. But I think we had a pretty good sense, you know, even as we were setting it up initially of kind of knowing where we needed to point out that you were doing this or that the audience should be aware that we're either going into or out of reality. And other times when you're supposed to not know, if you're watching the movie for the first time at that moment, you don't know what's real and what's not real. And and that's a really important part of the story because Arthur doesn't know what's real and what's not real. So on the other hand, when we first go to the, the Murray show, you know, he's sitting there watching TV and we do a little design transition in, but that doesn't totally tell you that it's not real because that could be just a time passage, you know, transition. But when we come out, we clearly tell you that it's not real and and you get that visually as well. But that's one of the few times I think that it's really made clear. Most of the rest of the time, it's deliberately blurred. Yeah. So I read, Alan, you sent the director a microphone and asked him to get ambiences of New York City for you. Is that true? It was shot in New York, so our production mixer on the show, uh, Todd Maitland, and I had communicated before the end of shooting. Our director was and film editor, Jeff, were always relating the fact that they wanted the sound of a gritty, sinister, dark city, and so... Todd, had, he actually lives in New York, so he had told me that he knew all the places to go in New York and, and capture what we were after. So we had used an ambiosonic mic on the mule, Clint Eastwood's last movie, and so we felt that was a good way to capture the 3D effect of what Todd was after. So we had uh, Todd Maitland get one of the microphones, and then he went around for about a week and shot various areas in New York to help us with capturing that sound of the city. Wait, Todd the director did that? No, Todd Maitland, the production mixer. The production mixer, okay. So that's where the confusion was in the Todds. 
Okay. I was thinking that was pretty amazing that the director just took some free time out to go uh, get some ambulances yeah, for Two Todd's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been great, too. <laughs> He's really into sound. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the director, uh, I believe, Tom, you're, are you the only one that has worked with him before? Uh, of the three of us, yeah. So how, how did you end up on the show, Alan? Uh, well, I had met Todd on Starsborn since he was one of the producers. So we had a casual meeting. And I think um, the other producer on the show was Bradley Cooper. So I think there was a lot of discussion on what we had brought to Star is Born. And, and I think uh, Brad and Todd talked a lot about what they wanted to get. And I'm, I'm sure that came from some recommendations from Bradley, too. And I guess Dean would be the same pathway then. Correct. Yes. And now that you've worked with him, do you want to work with him again? Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You have to ask him that question. (laughs) (laughs) We should also point out that Jason Reuter, who was the music editor on Joker, was also the music editor on Stars Born. So, you know, it's kind of a a group effort. That was probably a slightly easier music edit on Joker than Stars Born. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jason did some amazing work. Yeah. Uh, truly on uh, on the music of Joker. You know, yeah. Bildor's score is gorgeous and it's so out of the box. And Jason did some really good work on that movie. Orchestration. Yeah. Jason. Jason's very talented and did some nice fine work. And the great thing about Todd Phillips is his involvement in the movie, from helping write the script through direction casting. Uh, I think this is one of those movies where everybody brought their A-game, cinematography, film editing, sound. There's not too many movies where everything works together in such a great mix. So I think we were very proud with the way Todd instructed us on what the rules were about the soundtrack on Joker and how we kept to it under his direction and... uh, it's nice to have that somebody involved with the sound on the movie, too. It also feels like there's not one single sound in this movie that we didn't all kind of, like, have input on and sat there with Todd and Jeff, and we kind of all went, do it this way. Well, maybe if we do it that way, oh, no, let's go back to that. Yeah, that's it, you know, to literally, like, things that just poke out in the background and, you know, I mean, just everything. So when you finally hit the end, you kind of feel like, it's right, you know, <laughs> because everybody agreed that those things are all exactly the way they should be. So, Dean, what was a moment in the film that you thought really punched through that you were really proud of your mix on? The entire mix we're proud of, but from the opening of the movie, you know, the Warner logo comes up and the sound fades up and you hear the radios and it sets you up that you are in the time period. If It just reminded me of those late 70 movies, the great one Serpico, or you you know where you're gonna go and you're gonna go on a ride. And from the opening, which I love the opening, throughout all of Real One, I think is, for me, satisfying because it sets up the city, it's, it's gritty, it's ominous, it's big, it's sirens. All of that was the challenge to get us into the movie. And I, I love the setup of the movie. It works really well. So, Alan, you've worked with these two guys mixing your sounds for a while. Why do you like working with them so much? Well, I think... Or do you? <laughs> yeah, right. No. no, I love it. I mean, uh, 
our relationship is is great and we're all zeroed in on what we want to accomplish on the film and i can't think of a team that's all together and and dean's great in placing things in the sound field and tom the same way so when you do a movie like this in atmos it's getting so much detail with these guys and clarity to the soundtrack it's the best in the world so i'm 100 percent behind these guys and uh, we have a great time every time we work together and you know it's like the end scene with the rioting to get the clarity and the detail through the rioting and white room and the dialogue it's so impressive in the You hear everything, which is so nice when you get on a team like this. It's not muddy, it's it's articulated, and that's what I love about this team. So, And I think we all respect, A, we like each other, we respect each other, and we respect the work that each person does. To Alan, he's tireless. The work he does behind the scenes prior to the stuff getting to us is staggering. The amount of work that he puts in and the hours he puts in and the respect that his guys, the editor, we had, it, hats off to the sound editors that are the unsung heroes of the track. The respect they have for him is tremendous. And uh, so, you know, you, you, you respect the work before it hits the console and you see the love that's gone into this. Oh, you guys really like each other, eh? <laughs> <laughs> when the camera's on. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, you should be really proud of the work in Joker. It's really something. As I said, that movie stayed with me. Not necessarily in a... It didn't uplift my life, <laughs> I wouldn't say, but uh, it certainly stayed with me and gave me a lot to think about. And it's one of these films that right after you finish seeing it, you want to go get a coffee and talk to people about it right away. Always makes it worth going to the theater. So Appreciate it. Hopefully we'll talk to you sometime soon. Have a great day, guys. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. Our pleasure. Dumb Beggars is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. 